I forgot to get something for the children this morning. <laughs> so I'm going to have to forgo that, but I'll let you get in the can after church, okay? <laughs> okay. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Strauss. I'm a retired pastor. After I've been in ministry, I should say, 57 years starting out as a lay minister in a other denomination and I've continued on until I got to where I am today <laughs> and now I'm here trying to help Joe a little bit uh, with the time we have left okay the, my sermon today is the source of our assurance the reason I chose this when I did hear somebody not too long ago say you know, I used to feel sure, but I, I, I wonder now if I would die, if I really would go to heaven. They're not sure. And I'm going to tell you something. We're in a no-so religion. You know when you're saved and you know where you're going. There was a, I have to put this in quick. Joe always has a joke in the front of the sermon. <laughs> It must have been a Christian school that this happened in. It was a second grade class, and the teacher said, are you afraid to die? And out of her 25 students, 24 put up there. Are you not? I, I, I goofed it up. They put up their hand, and she had worded it about dying you know, as a positive thing. And everybody put up their hand. They're not afraid to die. All but this one little boy. Probably like him. <laughs> he, was, he was in the back of the class, and he didn't put up his hand. So uh, the teacher went back to him. She said, Johnny, she said, what's wrong? She said, are you afraid to die? He said, no, I'm not afraid to die. She said, well, you didn't put up your hand when I asked if you're not afraid to die to raise your hand. He said, oh, he said, I thought you were getting a load ready to go, and I'm not ready yet. <laughs> but it's good to have a no-so religion. I remember in one of the churches I served in the past that there was this couple, they had been in the church quite a few years, and he uh, had been ill and sickly, and the ambulance came to take him to the hospital. He had had another attack, and they were taking, wanted to take him to the hospital, and they had to restrain him on the litter because he was sitting up, Thank you, Jesus, I'm going home. A couple of weeks later, his wife said, she came crying. She says, I don't know if I'd die, if I'd go to join him or not. She said, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure anymore. And that made me think back then and makes me think today. I had another experience, and I think I shared this one maybe here at the church in previous times that I spoke. And that was I went to a camp meeting. I was 10 years old. 
and the Holiness Church from the neighboring town every summer came to our t- over to our town and put up a tent and had revival for about two weeks. And the elder from the church that I was going to at that time was at the, this service, and after they had given the altar call and everything, the evangelist came down, and you know how the old tents were, benches along the side and then benches down, the sawdust up front, <laughs> the old sawdust trail they used to call it, but anyhow, they came up to this elder of my church, and I was only 10 years old. And he said, they said to him, if you died tonight, would you be sure you go to heaven? He said, I hope so. And in my 10-year-old mind, it put a question, why do some people know so, but the church I go to is a hope so? It took me 32 years. Well, it took me till I was 32, 22 more years. It took me until I got to the point that I knew so. And I scared a holiness woman that sat aside of me when it happened because I got up to my feet and I was from one of those churches where you don't, you know. And when I got to my feet, (laughs) she got scared. (laughs) She didn't know how often she scared me because... She'd get up there, and I thought she was going to take off sometimes. (laughs) What I'm using for the the main part of the sermon today is the 23rd Psalm. I think if you have any doubts about your salvation, keep reading and reread the 23rd Psalm. Because David... A sinner as he was, an adulterer, a murderer, as bad as he was, he understood. But I think his understanding when he wrote the 23rd Psalm came from when he was a shepherd boy taking care of his father's sheep. But he starts out with, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I'm going to use my name, but when you read this psalm, maybe you want to say, the Lord is, and you you put in your name, in my case it would be, the Lord is John's shepherd. It's a positive statement. It's not a maybe. It's not a hope so. It's not, well, maybe later. But not now. It is a positive statement. He is right now my shepherd. And if you can speak these positive thoughts that David put in this psalm, I think you can get your assurance back. You you realize that you didn't slip away. Because we have a lot of good shepherd uh, examples in scripture. It says, I shall not want. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, we've claimed him first. And now, I shall not want. I remember in the past that people said, well, I prayed, I prayed that I'd win the lottery and that, that I'd, I'd give it to the church. 
You know they wouldn't have done it anyhow. <laughs> People with an attitude like that would not have given it. They'd have to say, oh, why should I give that much, you know? And they'd have held on to it. But it says, when it says, I shall not want, it doesn't mean that he's going to make you a millionaire or make you very uh, financially stable. Uh, what he promises is for today. Lord's Prayer says, give me this day my da our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. He provides for us day by day. Now this week I had a thought over in Israel when I was there a lot of places uh, especially elderly poor did not have refrigerators at all and, and therefore they had to go out and buy the food for today's meals on a daily basis so I wonder if that might have been had something to do with David saying what he did you know and the Lord's Prayer saying, the wording it the way it did. But he is the supplier of all you need. I'm far from wealthy, but I have all I need, and I have a little extra. I mean, I, I can get by, and that's all he promises that, to us. He doesn't promise us all these wealth and mansions and, and all that other but he, he promises that he will supply our needs. And if we are really uh, born-again Christians, we should accept, be able to accept that. He, after all, he hasn't left us destitute. He's left us with what we have, and it's enough. He's given us, provided that through the years we had jobs, we have always had clothes on our back, we had food on the table, we had transportation when we needed it. And we had peace of mind and security. That peace of mind is, is a big thing. It is a big issue. A lot of people uh, are on the border of mental problems because they don't have peace of mind. They worry about everything. All the time they're, they're worrying. It goes on to say, he makes me lay down in green pastures. <laughs> when I read that again, and when I was preparing it, I thought back to when I was a kid. We lived in a country town, and a farmer's field ran right up against the back of our property. And me and my buddy used to go, like to go down. The, the field in back sort of sloped down and then went up on a hill. And we used to love to go back there it was, I remember it was an alfalfa was in the field when we used to do it. And we'd go lay down there on the hill, look, just looking up at what I still do today. I, I like to watch the clouds. And we'd lay there, and, look, that one looks like a dog. <laughs> Here's one looked like a cat. And we'd see the different images in them. I tell you, I thought we had a good time back then. But when we came down here to Florida, we first saw what clouds are like. For some reason, down here, they're fluffier, and you can see a, a whole veterinarian shop <laughs> in, in one look, if you look for it. I don't know, God must have liked poodles, because they look, more of them look like poodles than, than any other dogs when you look up. 
But anyway, he made them to lie down, it says. He makes the sheep to lie down in green pastures. Now, one thing, and I got this from the Basque sheep herder from Nebraska that wrote this article, and it was in the Nebraska Sheep Herders Gazette about 40 years ago, I imagine. I mean, they're trying to think back to when I learned about this article. But he wrote in there that as a sheep herder, and he had been a sheep herder, and he wrote this religious column for, a one-time column for that paper about what it was like to be an old-time sheep herder over in Spain, and then after they, he uh, came over here, immigrated, and lived in Nebraska. And he said that the shepherd always carried a pouch on his face with five stones in it, about that size. Uh, he said around two inches, one, anywhere from one to two inches. He always had that there. Isn't that amazing that when David slew the, the Goliath, the giant, where do you think he got that stone from? He got it out of that sack because he was a sheep herder at that time yet that went out to see his brothers. And they'd take those, those little pebbles or rocks and he'd stay, they'd put them in the hole, rodent holes, because sheep are skittish. Every little thing makes them want to run in different directions. He'd drop the pebble in the hole and then take the staff and pound it in to block it real good so that by the time the sheep came through that area, you know, all the holes were blocked and there was no danger. Because when they moved the herd back then, one of the shepherds went out the day before and marked off the path that they were going to follow the next day when they were moving the sheep to a different pasture. The grass, though, also means food. He provided for their food, the shepherd. And uh, they felt secure, and as, as well as uh, there was water nearby. It says, he leads me beside still waters. Not rippling streams. I know, as a kid... <laughs> I lived in the country, so we kids back then, we found a lot of fun that kids today, they, they have no idea what good fun is anymore. They're always... But anyhow, we used to go fishing. And I used to love to... We, we all had a stick that with a you weren't like a... almost like a slingshot piece of wood. And we'd stick that in the ground and if the fish weren't biting, you know, every time you dropped the line, we'd lay there on the bank and we'd stick our bamboo rods with... When I first went fishing, my father wouldn't let me have fish hooks. I was about seven, eight years old, I guess. And he said, no, you're going to come home. He said, we're going to have to cut out the fish hook. You're not going to have a fish hook. So he took a safety pin and he bent it. And that's... That was my first fish hook. But we'd, we'd lay there and we'd prop the, the rod on that wire thing and we'd just lay back there listening to the ripple of the, uh, of the water as it went over the stones. And uh, we enjoyed ourselves. But uh, by the still waters, when he took the sheep there, it said he gave them refreshment. 
He was seeing to it that the sheep had refreshment, that they had water. And, uh, I mean, it was a, it's a wonderful thing when you think of it. Our God provides the same way for us today in different ways. But, I mean, it's still he provides for us. He restores my soul. I tell you, there's nothing more relaxing and restorative to you when you're tired or, or any situation you have than to be able to lay back in comfort and enjoy the peace. It, it restores you within. Like, uh, take to me for today. I guarantee you, that I'm not used to this preaching anymore. I'm, I'm, after all, I'm 89 years old. <laughs> So when I get home this afternoon, I'm going to take a nap. I have to be, I have, I have to be refreshed. I have to be refreshed and restored after after working so hard this morning. And those of you that might think out there preachers have it easy, I wish you could be a preacher just for a week. <laughs> you find out how easy pastoring is. But anyway, it says, he restores my soul. He, it gave them rest, gave them water, gave them food. <clears throat> he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What was David doing? David was saying, well, I took the, the sheep there, make sure that they didn't get devoured by a wild beast that might have been roaming the area. But he, he said he, he took them there that they might, uh, in paths of righteousness, for his name's sake. Now, here when he wrote this, he meant God. He was talking of people being shepherded. But for his name's sake, he didn't want to lose any of the sheep because that would have been bad. You, know, you don't want that guy shepherding your sheep. He loses half of them before you, you know, till he gets them back to you. So anyhow, he, he leads us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He takes us into the things we do to give honor to him. He leads you I don't know how to say this that I don't sound a little pompous, but <laughs> He leads you into ministry. God's in backward. He, he's the one that leads us in that direction. And he puts us in the positions at a time when it's time for us to take the reins, so to speak, and, and pastor a flock. Yea, he says in this seventh breakdown that I have. Yea, though I walk in the valley, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Every time I read that, I go back to 1994 when I was in Israel. Sunday morning, we were headed down the Jericho Road, down into Jericho from Jerusalem, coming down into Jericho. And we stopped along the way at a place, it was like the top of a cliff. 
and you could look across, see the hills across the way. But we stopped there and were facing that way. And the sermon that the, or the lesson that he, the, the leader of the group was teaching that day was the 23rd Psalm. We're sitting there listening to it, and all at once I nudged my wife. I said, look over there. Here was a little shepherd boy up on the, a, a hill way across, but he had sheep and he had goats. I mean, but there were a couple of the boys there. They had sheep and goats that they were tending. And that is just above the valley of the shadow. From where we were at to our right, we could see St. Catherine's Monastery, which has a place where some of the oldest manuscripts of scripture are, they have them there. They've collected them from soon after Christ died, I guess that monastery was established. But anyhow, they're known for their library. And then to our left, it was a deep gorge. I'm not good at judging feet, but I'm sure it was 100 feet down there. And here a stream, well, no, I don't believe it was wider than the steps are to come up on the platform. There was this stream flowed down through there. Now, back then, when you had a walk everywhere you went, you wanted to be close to water if possible, instead of having to carry a whole lot of water with you. And you were because everybody went on by foot those days, and it come, came out to this bunch of trees. It was like a, a very narrow valley, but it was heavily treed on either side. But you could see there where the path was down through the middle, and the, the robbers. They called them roadmen back then, uh, would be hide in the trees, and when somebody had come through there, they'd pounce out on them and rob them. So uh, he went through the, I mean, we, we saw that as the valley of the shadow of death, that we were told, was what inspired David to write that. We ourselves should not have any fear. I mean, I've gone through some experiences in my time, but since I know the Lord, I don't fear what happens because I know where I'm going and there are a whole lot of others waiting over there. <laughs> when you get my age, your whole franchise is over there. <laughs> By the time you get over there, all your, your family has gone on before. In our worst sicknesses, he's with us. That might be our valley of, sh of shadow of death. But in our sickness, he's still with us. He's still with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod, that's for punishment. The staff is your... A staff was a multi-purpose uh, thing. The staff was to walk, like a, we walk with canes. I see some people walking with, they call them walking sticks. 
they're about that high, and have a, you see a hole in the top and a piece of leather tied in to hang them up when you get them get home. But anyhow, a staff is real big. I remember in Sunday school uh, Christmas pageants when I was a kid, when we had the shepherds, we, they always had these pieces of wood. I mean, we were about 10 years old at that time, about this high, and out of the top was a metal uh, hook. I mean, when I say hook, not one to go or somebody, but uh, uh, it came up and then out and around and open on the one side. That hook was used by the shepherd, and we're going to get to a use at the end of the sermon. I have an example of it. But that hook was used to rescue sheep. The rod was to prod them over in the path. If one tried to get out of the path, they, you could prod them back, hit them, tap them on the side with the rod to get them back in with the flock again. There are, they should be a comfort. I know I've had things go wrong in my life, and I often wondered, God, are you trying to talk to me or trying to tell me something? Not everything that happens to you that you might take for bad might be what you think it is. It could be God trying to get your attention. My father, <laughs> whew, my dad didn't spare the rod. <laughs> back then, you, you, you still could... You still could discipline your children back then without somebody reporting you. And, and, uh, and my dad, when I got, I, I didn't get it. The last time I think he hit me in my seat of my education, <laughs> <laughs> the last time he did that, I think I was 12 years old. And I can remember it well. I was sitting on top of a, you know, back then we all had wood-burning stoves in the country, and anyway, I was sitting on the on the wood pile. We, my dad would get a load of wood. His parents were were in the in the sawmill business, so we had, always had wood. And anyway, he'd split that which had to be split and stack it in a nice circle, and then throw the others loosely in the middle. And my mother had said, John. I mean, she said, John, instead of Johnny, I knew it was, she meant business. She said, fill the wood box. I said, I'm 12 years old. I've been doing this since I'm four or five, you know, filling the wood box. Now it's time for my sister to fill the wood box. <laughs> and, and I said, I'm not going to do it. And I sat myself in the middle of the wood pile Legs crossed, arms. I forgot. <laughs> I'm wired for sound. But anyhow, I, I was sitting on the wood pile, and back then we country boys all wore overalls, the bib type, and much uh, oftentimes nothing else underneath either. When we were when, when we were real small, but anyhow, my dad had a garage right next door to the home. And he heard this going on because it was summertime and he had the windows open. 
and he hurt me, giving my mother a hard time. And he saw me out there on the wood pile, you know, in my defiant pose. He reached up on the, he came up in back of me, and I never knew he was there coming at me. <clears throat> he reached up, and you know, suspender uh, overalls, he had a cross, you know, and he reached in there, grabbed that middle part where it was the narrowest, picked me up off of the wood pile, and the seed of my education was a little red that night. <laughs> he, he got my attention. <laughs> you don't talk to your mother like that. And when your mother says, do something, you do it. Nowadays, I don't want it. Now, I, I don't want to. Let's keep going here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. That is, you bless me, you, you, you feed me, you do all good things for me, and you, you do it in front of my friends, and you do it in front of my enemies. Up in North Carolina, I had some enemies with the church. <laughs> They didn't want me to move the old church across the street when we had built the new new part where we wanted to plug in the old church as the, the main entryway. Entry it's an L-shaped church, uh, or a T-shaped church. And uh, they threatened me with court. That's a historic building. It was built in 1885. You are not going to move that from where it's sitting right now. I said, oh, but I am. I said, we, we built the new part to match the inside, the walls and everything. They all bend together. They look the same. And anyhow, I uh, took a lot of flack, but they, they had a, I call them a mole, that he'd come every Wednesday when I was up in the old chapel. I'd always spend all day Wednesday there. He'd come in and say, are you going to move the church? Yep, we're going to move it. He said, you know you're going to have trouble. They're going to take you to court. I said, let them. I'm going to move the church. I said, they, they, they didn't want it until I got there and got it fixed up, which was the truth. They didn't want, they didn't want anything to do with the building until I got there and got, it, got a congregation going. And uh, anyhow, he came in one day. I, I got tired of hearing it, and we were about a month away from jacking the old building up to get it on the back of the trailer to, to move it across the street, the house mover. And uh, I went up to Virginia Beach. There was a young man by the name of Jay Settelow up there that I knew through my wife. She did a lot of favors for him and he'd have different people come in. She'd see to it that they got good seats in the in the 700 Club between the tapings. I went up there and he said, John, you go ahead and move it. He said, I'll take it to the Supreme Court if we have to, but they didn't want it before and they're not going to get it and get control of it now. And the church got moved. Uh, the, the mole came in. That, that was on the Tuesday. The mole came in Wednesday. He said, 
are you still going to move it? It's getting close to time. I said, it's being moved. I said, I just went to the lawyer and I named him. He already had a reputation in the Virginia, North Carolina area. Today he's president, one of President Trump's law attorneys. But anyhow, we moved it. In the presence of mine enemies, God blessed. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. You are, we are blessed beyond human understanding. When God puts his hand on you, you, you can expect anything. God will do, God will give you what you need, and he will provide you with the, the wisdom to, to do that which he's calling you to do. My cup runneth over. I can't be thankful enough for all he's done for me. I mean, me, a little Pennsylvania Dutch country boy, <laughs> a preacher, it was unheard of. <laughs> in fact, I'm, I was the first preacher in our family, as, as far as my family tree goes, since 1585. I was the first minister. And then my cousin, who followed, well, he, he looked up to me. I was his idol. He was about 16 years younger than me. And anyhow, he's in the ministry now, up in uh, Rising Fawn, Georgia. But he anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. You know, he blesses, people don't understand it, the blessings of God oftentimes. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Believe God in all things and he'll be with you. Be true to him and he will do what he has promised he'll do, that he'll do for you. And I have to hurry on or I'm going to be late like Joe. <laughs> and, I will dwell in the, <laughs> and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When I reach the end, glory be. We all are going to be back in heaven, well, up in heaven. Loved ones waiting for us over there. And it, it, what a wonderful thing to know and have that assurance. Now I'm getting ready to close and I'm going to refer to, the, to another story, shepherd's story. And this is the 90 and 9 and that one was lost. He got into the fold, he conned his sheep, the shepherd knew who, he, who, who his sheep were or the sheep that he had. He knew them individually. And he gets into the fold, and there's one of his sheep are missing. It says he safely secured them in the fold, and he went out to get them. He took his crook with him. He gets out there, and he finds a cliff where the, the sheep had fallen over and was hanging on to a thicket that was growing out of the wall of the cliff. He takes the crook, turns it upside down with that hook, and goes underneath the front legs of the sheep, and he pulled them up to safety. 
And he took them back and they rejoiced, it said, for I have found my sheep. It's the same way with us. If we don't have that assurance, I want to tell you, God's looking for you. God's waiting for you. He wants to bring you back, right like the good shepherd went out and brought back that sheep. You'll be welcomed with open arms by the Lord. God, our Father, we just thank you again for the time we've had to look into your word. And now we ask you that you would quicken it to the hearts of, of all of all the hearers today and that, that if there was one among us today that did not have that full assurance, they, they felt they lost something along the way since they've been saved. God, let them look and ask you and you will be willing to take them back. We ask it all in your holy name. Amen.